This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Today is Tuesday, January 7th, 2020. On this day in 1973, 23-year-old Mark Essex shot 19 people in New Orleans, Louisiana, many of them police officers. He retreated to a rooftop where he held out for a 10-hour standoff. Welcome to Today in True Crime, a ParCast original. Due to the graphic nature of today's crimes, listener discretion is advised. Extreme caution is advised for listeners under 13. Today we're covering the story of Mark Essex, a former Navy seaman who went on a shooting spree to avenge racial injustice. Let's go back to the morning of January 7, 1973. It was a busy Sunday in New Orleans, Louisiana, and 23-year-old Mark Essex was on a mission. Eight days ago, he'd shot and killed a police cadet and an officer at New Orleans' central lockup. He'd managed to elude capture for over a week, but recently he heard that a local grocer might be talking about him to the cops. Essex couldn't let that happen. At around 10 a.m., the former seaman strolled into the shop he confronted the grocer about the rumor. The man refused to give Essex the answer he wanted, so Essex raised the stakes. He shot and wounded the grocer with a 44 caliber rifle, then ran out of the shop. Spotting a car idling by the curb, he strode over to it. He pointed his rifle at the owner, who was standing nearby, jumped into the driver's seat, and sped away. Some people might have panicked in this situation, but Essex had a plan. He drove straight to the Howard Johnson's Motor Lodge in downtown New Orleans. He ditched the car and proceeded across the parking lot with his 44 caliber rifle in hand. Essex strode into the plush, warm lobby and began shooting at everyone in sight. Bullets struck the hotel manager, assistant manager, and a couple of guests scrambling to escape. Survivors scattered and ran for help. Worried citizens throughout the neighborhood called the police, saying they'd heard gunshots. Little did they know that Essex was just getting started. Officials arrived on the scene, only to find the shooter waiting for them. He unleashed a hail of bullets as the uniformed officers entered the lobby. Law enforcement returned fire, forcing Essex to retreat. He raced through the hotel, gunfire all around him. By now, he was running dangerously low on ammunition, but that was soon to be remedied. After an intense chase, he burst out onto the roof of the 17-story hotel where three suitcases filled with thousands of bullets awaited him. 
Essex slipped into a concrete bunker on the roof that sheltered him from view. There, he listened to the approaching sirens and the chaos unfolding below. Safe in his hideout, he now had sufficient ammunition to keep up the assault for days, enough to take down every officer in the city. Coming up, we'll learn why Essex went on this violent rampage and how an act of military disobedience gave police what they needed to take him down. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now, back to the story. On January 7th, 1973, 23-year-old Mark Essex blasted his way through the lobby of a New Orleans Howard Johnson Hotel with a 44 caliber rifle. When police arrived, he turned his sights on them, shooting several before retreating to a concrete bunker on the roof. There, he was so thoroughly protected that anyone who ventured up risked getting shot. So the New Orleans PD had to come up with a plan to force Essex to surrender. Officers were dispatched to surrounding rooftops to keep eyes on the shooter and prevent him from trying to escape. Meanwhile, journalists arrived on the scene and reports of a sniper at the downtown Howard Johnson hit the airwaves. Marine Lieutenant Colonel Chuck Pittman was one of many locals startled by the news. He was a licensed helicopter pilot and couldn't stand seeing police officers under fire like this. He placed a call to New Orleans PD and asked if there was anything he could do to help. A sergeant responded that they needed a helicopter with a searchlight. Pittman knew that regulations required him to get approval before intervening in civilian affairs, but several officers had already been shot. So despite the possibility of a court-martial, Pittman called in his co-pilot and took off for New Orleans, where the shooter was far from giving up. Essex seemed like the quintessential villain, but years ago, he'd been someone else entirely. Growing up in Emporia, Kansas, he was a happy, jovial boy, with seemingly little experience with racial discrimination, though he was black. Then, in 1969, Essex enlisted in the U.S. Navy. He left home for the first time and was assigned to Imperial Beach Naval Air Station near San Diego, California. There, he experienced racist bullying and systematic discrimination for the first time. Essex often felt degraded by his white colleagues, and when he attempted to stand up for himself, he was the one who got punished. The personal insults dug at the young seaman, but the unjust punishment filled him with rage. He began to associate uniformed officers with brutality and betrayal, an impression which American culture did little to dispel throughout the 60s and early 70s. In 1971, 
Essex was discharged from the Navy for behavior and character problems. He moved to New York, where he associated briefly with the Black Panthers, inspired by their radical energy and bent on personal revenge. He moved to New Orleans in mid-1972 and seemingly began plotting his own race war. As darkness fell over the standoff on January 7, 1973, the 23-year-old might have considered his efforts a success. He had terrorized local law enforcement and introduced several of them to a bullet. And as long as he stayed where he was, he could keep on shooting indefinitely. But then, late in the evening, Essex heard Pittman's chopper approaching. He could see the lieutenant colonel in the pilot's seat, his co-pilot beside him. And as the helicopter veered close to the rooftop, Essex could see it was packed with heavily armed police officers. The police opened fire, blasting Essex's concrete bunker with M16s. The 23-year-old darted into a fire standpipe and waited for the danger to pass. The moment he heard the chopper receding, he slipped back out to the roof and pulled off a few shots. Bullets cracked the sides of the helicopter, but injured no one. Moments later, Pittman circled back. Essex dove into the standpipe while police officers pounded the concrete bunker. Once again, he waited until the helicopter zoomed off to emerge from his hiding place. This time, however, Pittman suddenly reversed course. A police officer in the chopper hit Essex with a spotlight. Blinded, Essex turned and raced for his shelter, but he never made it. Over 200 bullets pelted Essex's body as he collapsed onto the rooftop, dead. Pittman had saved the day. He dropped the police officers off at City Hall and returned to his nearby base, where his behavior was ultimately pardoned on account of the mission's success. As for the cops, they spent the rest of the night scouring the hotel in search of other shooters. They were convinced that Essex had an accomplice and even feared he might be part of a nationwide conspiracy to murder police officers. In the end, however, no such person was ever found, and investigators concluded that the Howard Johnson sniper had worked just as he had died, alone. Thanks for listening to Today in True Crime. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Today in True Crime is a ParCast original. You can find more episodes of Today in True Crime and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals, like Today in True Crime, for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Today in True Crime on Spotify, just open the app and type Today in True Crime in the search bar. At ParCast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. We'll be back with a brand new episode tomorrow in true crime. 
Today in True Crime was created by Max Cutler and is a ParCast Studios original. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Andy Waits, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Freddie Beckley. This episode of Today in True Crime was written by Megan Dane, with writing assistance by Maggie Admire. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Vanessa Richardson.